You are listening to the Divorced Christian Podcast Show with your host and teacher, Darius Good. He is the senior pastor of Bible Gospel Center and founder of Good Treasure Ministries. He is the author of the books, Unlocking Godly Wisdom and The Divorced Christian. For more information, visit the website at thedivorcedchristian.com. And now here's your host, Darius Good. Welcome to another episode of the Divorced Christian Podcast Show. I'm your host, Darius Good. Thank you for joining us on today. We're going to get into episode 27 on today, which is entitled Why the Law of Polygamy Was So Important to the Subject of Divorce. And so before we get into that, visit our website on today, thedivorcedchristian.com. We have uh, information there regarding the book. The book is in paperback form as well as on Kindle. I also have a free PDF file that you could download of chapter one and chapter 14. I chose chapter 14 because I believe that's one of the most significant chapters on the subject of divorce as we have mistaught the information or the conversation Jesus was having in regards to his statements on divorce, more so because we don't understand the laws. And so on today, we're going to deal with the law of polygamy and how important this law is to what Jesus was explaining in Matthew 5 and even in Matthew chapter 19. It affects other laws. But before we get into that, um, I would love to hear from you as listeners. Um, I would love to hear the impact the show has been having on your understanding on the subject of divorce, especially as we look at it from the scripture aspect. Um, there is a email address that you can reach me at is hi, H-I, all lowercase, at DariusGood.com. So that's H-I at D-A-R-I-U-S-G-O-O-D.com. And you can find all that information there in the notes for today's episode. If you have been reading the book, I would love to hear from you as well. You can reach me on that same email address, hi at DariusGood.com. I would love, 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 love to get your feedback. And as always, remember to like the episodes. That's very helpful for us. Share them with people that need this information. Pass the information along. I would appreciate that tremendously. So today's episode, episode 27, is entitled Why the Law of Polygamy Was Important with Divorce. I've grown up in church as a preacher's child. And so my, my dad was a pastor. My mother was a pastor. So I've been a part of church my entire life. I am now currently a pastor. Began pastoring in 2013. And I have never never heard teaching on the subject of polygamy. What I've heard is statements, remade, uh, statements made regarding polygamy, but I've never heard any teachings regarding it. The traditional Christian stance on polygamy is that God created man and woman. He created Adam and Eve. So there was no intention on God's part for man to have multiple wives. And that's pretty much where statements start and stop. I read one article last night, and I won't say the name of the minister, but in the article, he's talking about marriage. He's talking about wives. And he brings up the story of Jacob and how he was married to both Rachel and Leah. And the minister really discounts Jacob's marriage to Leah 
based on the statement that Jacob loved Rachel. So for him, uh, marriage is defined as the person that you are in love with. Now, based on that logic, it makes very little sense. If anything, Jacob's marriage to Rachel would have been the illegitimate marriage because he married Leah first, even though the agreement between father and Jacob, Laban and Jacob, was that he was to marry Rachel. He legally married, and I'm using that, that term loosely, because in that time and age, they did not have uh, these sort of laws in place. They were not living as nations. And so, or at least Jacob and Laban and them weren't. Um, there were cities that were established that had laws, of course. Um, but you don't see that in this negotiation between Jacob and Laban. And so, the marriage between Jacob and Leah was the first marriage. We cannot discount the marriage between Jacob and Leah and Rachel. And as we often do in the Christian faith is we don't even mention the two other handmaidens, the servant women. These four women were responsible for birthing the nation of Israel. So we can't throw out Leah, as I believe she gave birth to 10 sons, uh, well, not necessarily 10 on her own, um, because her handmaiden was also responsible for the birth of some of those 10. Rachel gives birth to two on her own. So we're not going to go and teach that there's only two legitimate tribes. There were 10, or there was 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And let me explain this quickly. There's technically 12 sons of Jacob, but when they divided the nation into tribes, there is no tribe of Joseph. So where Joseph would have been one tribe in and of himself, they took the two sons of Jacob and then had Ephraim and Manasseh. And so what Jacob did was he blessed the two sons of Joseph and they were exalted as nephews to the same level and rank as their uncles. It's important we understand that. There were 13 tribes because of the two nephews. And the tribe of Levi was not given an inheritance. They were the priest. So no land, no allotment of land when they entered into the promised land was given to them. They received the tithe. So that's what they received from all the other tribes that allowed their their tribe to survive and so, to support themselves. So all of this, what I just explained, is critical to understand, especially if you're going to understand the book of Revelation, which is another book that is really taught wrong. Um, but I won't get into that on today. Okay, so let's get back to our subject on polygamy. We're going to tie polygamy into the laws of divorce. When Moses, who was responsible for writing the Torah, the laws of God, the commandments of God. He was given the Ten Commandments. He wrote the 613 mitzvah or commandments of God or laws of God. These laws are pretty much like a Supreme Court where the laws that pertain to marriage, laws that pertain to divorce, laws that pertain to civil activity, to business ownership, to employment, to slaves, to servants. There was different laws a part of this. Laws pertaining to husbandry um, and agriculture. 
So they weren't allowed to plant a field with different types of seed. They were not permitted to take um, two animals of two different types and yoke them together. Mind you, all of these laws point to New Testament spiritual truths. So if we don't understand the law of Leviticus, we don't understand what, what, what Moses established or what God established through the law, then we are falling short of our understanding, number one, of Jesus Christ and many of his teachings that pertain to the law, many of the writings of Paul that pertain to the law. Am I saying we are to go back to the law? Absolutely not. Um, as explained by Paul, the Old Testament is a shadow of things to come, a shadow of spiritual things. But if we can't understand the natural, how do we understand the spiritual? And that's exactly what Jesus explained to um, the Pharisees in one of those conversations. And so let's go back to our laws uh, that Moses established. He's establishing laws for a nation to govern a nation, to help them function, to flow, to have har harmony. Um, the people were required to know the laws. They had to learn the laws. The scribes wrote the laws. I think at least the, the Ten Commandments or what we refer to as the Ten Commandments and they were required to be on the gate of every home. That means every, every uh, home within that city or village, they all had the laws on their gates. They had them in their house. The laws were required to be learned and be in their hearts. And all of these laws pointed towards, as Jesus explained, understanding the most important laws, which was to love God with all thy heart, mind, and soul, but to love thy neighbor as yourself. If you follow the laws of God, they really show you how to love your neighbor, how to handle them justly and fairly. So now, Moses is the author of the commandments or the Torah, which was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, which is where we find the 600 and 13 laws. Visit the website, thedivorcechristian.com. At the bottom of the page, I have it was listed as resources. I have all of the 613 laws. One goes through and lists them, one through 613. Another uh, link, I have them categorized. I found a website that has them categorized, and it's fascinating to look at all the laws God put in place for governing a nation. So now, Moses writes the laws, and what's interesting is all the laws pretty much begin to point to the forefathers. So as we under have our, our understanding of the life of Abraham and the life of Isaac and the life of Jacob, you can see many of their experiences now used to establish laws for the nation of Israel. Majority of it deals with things that they did correct, things that they had to follow. Um, other laws, which is interesting, um, so like the law that would not permit a man to marry a woman and her sister, that points back to Jacob marrying Rachel and Leah. So you can see how these men's lives, and not just the men, the women as well, their lives affected what Moses wrote because he's the author of all those books. It affected the laws that were established for the nation to follow. So now, 
the law of polygamy. The law of polygamy is the law that allowed a man to marry multiple women. We can see this played out in the life of Jacob as he married Rachel and he married Leah. But we can also see it in the life of Abraham. And what's interesting, which uh, I do cover in the book on the divorced Christian, I deal uh, with the subject of polygamy and the marriage between Abraham and Hagar. Because in the Christian faith, we tend to take Hagar and throw that marriage away. It has very little importance. We view Sarah as being the main wife, the only important wife. And we act like Abraham was not married to Hagar. But the scripture clearly states that Abraham married Hagar. We have Genesis 16, verse 3. It says, Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abraham had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. Now, we have debates over that word wife, whether that means of the same status as Sarah, and it just breaks down into this. It doesn't fit the Christian narrative, and that's what the problem is. And I don't understand why we can't just read the scriptures and understand it in that time frame. We don't find Jacob marrying Rachel and Leah's handmaidens. He never married them, but they did father the patriarchs together. But when it comes to Abraham, he married Hagar. And these wives that were, in essence, concubines, held a very high status. If you remember the story, and I do cover this in the book, the story of David and his son Absalom, when he decides to usurp his authority to become king. You have Ahithophel, which is a counselor. He'll give counsel to David. He joined uh, himself to Absalom as part of this coup. And the advice given to Absalom was to take your father's concubines up onto the rooftop. That was a sign to the nation of Israel that he has now usurped his father's authority and he is now king over Israel. What's the consequence of taking a man's concubine? The, the, the consequence was death. Really, it was no different than taking a man's wife. And we see this played out as once uh, Abimelech discovers that Abraham's uh, Sarah is, is not a relative, but she's in fact his wife, he gives the wife back. He doesn't keep her. Isaac has a similar experience. So we find that in those days, there was a reverence, uh, honor, and respect for wives. Concubines were treated with the same level of integrity and respect. They were not servants. They weren't servants. They were wives. But what they did not carry was the same agreement as the, the main wife. So as I studied out Jewish uh, culture, what I discovered was that Within the ketubah, so you remember the contract, the marriage agreement required between the man and the woman before they became engaged. In the ketubah, if a man wanted to engage in, in polygamy, 
he was required to make his wife aware and it had to be written into their marriage contract. If a man decided post-marriage that he wanted to now marry a second wife, they would have to take their ketubah to the priest and have it amended. If the wife said no, then he could not marry uh, the second wife, at which point he would have to make a decision whether or not he was going to divorce the first wife and then marry the first wife. So these laws are important. Um, and this is where I find with Christian teachings, we tend to make up the information. So a man could not marry without the agreeance of the first wife. And these affected some of the laws that Moses put in place um, with the 613 mitzvahs. So now, the laws of polygamy allowed the man to marry multiple women. Let me first state this. We don't see this common throughout the scripture. Though it was legal, it was not common. Why? Because it was extremely expensive. So if you remember, the ketubah required the agreement between uh, father-in-law and husband-to-be. And they would agree on the amount given to the father-in-law on behalf of the daughter to take her in compensation for her leaving the family. This is what my daughter's worth. Many times it was based on the net worth of the father. And so the son understood, or the man, husband-to-be, understood the amount of money I got to bring to the table for that woman. We understand with Jacob, he brought seven years of employment for each woman. You do your math and figure out what you make per year and multiply that by seven, which is another reason why these teachings that women were treated like secondhand citizens is absolutely not true. If you're making 100,000 a year, and, and I'm just using round numbers, and you spent $700,000 on your wife, you don't treat her like a second-class citizen. You treat her as something of extreme value. In that case, with these numbers, Jacob would have paid $1.4 million to marry his two wives. Jewish women were not treated as less than. And I'm tired of hearing these teachings that, that we're, we're using world history from other cultures and applying it to the Jewish culture, but it does not apply. It does not apply. Go back and look at Sarah. Sarah owned her own tent. These were normal. Uh, norm, this was the norm in their experiences. When a man married a woman, he was to provide a place of living for her. This was up until they went into slavery. And then we start the Mosaic law where then the man went off and built the house and then the woman came to live with him. But before then, that was not the case. And I will not take to the, today to go into great detail regarding that. But men spent money to get their wives. They were of value. And then in the ketubah, he was required now to state, if we end up divorced, this is what I would pay you. And oftentimes they would just double the number. So if, if Jacob paid $700,000 for his wife, then he would agree to pay an additional $700,000 in case they got divorced. That's $1.4 million. That's a lot of money. And so this was part of the agreement that Moses established that they put in place before they got married. The ketubah was required if a couple got, in, got married without a ketubah. 
It says that they were flogged. They were whipped, the man and the woman, in front of the town because they are treating marriage as if it's not important, it's not significant, and then they were often forced to get divorced. Marriage was extremely important. It's something that you take um, and you hold as holy and sacred among the Jewish people. So now, the laws of polygamy allowed a man to marry multiple women. This is the reason why when it came to the laws of adultery, adultery did not apply to the man in most cases. We covered this on last week in episode 26, why the woman was generally, the law of adultery generally applied to the woman. So if you had a married man and he had sex with a woman that was not his wife, but she was not married, it was not considered adultery because of the law of polygamy. It's important that we understand that. So why was the man permitted to marry multiple women and not the woman? We discussed this on last week. The woman was exclusively the man's through marriage. She could not be with any other man, which is why the laws of adultery apply to the woman. The man, on the other hand, could have multiple wives. And we actually see this played out in the relationship between God and the nation of Israel. He said to, to, to Israel, Number one, the first commandment, uh, I am the Lord thy God. And then he says to them, you cannot have any other God before me. What's interesting, though, is God had a relationship with both Israel and with their sister, Judah. He had entered into covenant relationship with these two nations when they broke into the two splintered nations. But they were not permitted to serve any other gods. They could not go after Baal. They could not go after uh, Dagon and some of the other gods that the other nations were worshiping because God said this is idolatry. One covenant. How does that affect us New Testament wise? We are the bride of Christ. We cannot have any other God before him. God says, I don't want anything before me. I don't want father, mother, children, houses, lands. Give everything up for me. Make me first. And so we see the Levitical law as now it is setting a standard and a level of, of understanding when it comes to our spiritual walk with God. We as the multi-membered bride of Christ cannot be in covenant with anything other than the living God. Jesus made this statement in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He said, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. It's a divided heart. It's a divided heart. And so these laws, Levitical law, is pointing to New Testament truth or pointing to spiritual truths. The man could have multiple wives. The man represents God. The woman could not have multiple marriages. The woman represents the bride of Christ. Now, how does this law affect divorce? As I've explained, 
It affects divorce because when it came to the issue of adultery, men could not be legally charged with adultery. The only way a man could become an adulterer was to have a relationship, a sexual relationship with a woman that was married. That was the only way. So now when we go to Matthew 5, and Jesus makes this statement as we begin to apply these laws to what Jesus is teaching. He said at Matthew 5, verse 32, whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. That key at the very end of that, that phrase, a man marrying a woman that is divorced, as we explain, that word divorced is not the right term, is not a postion. The word used here is apolio, which means separated. So what Jesus really said is a man that marries her that is separated commits adultery because she's already legally married to another man. But it did not work the way, the same way, the other way around. A woman could marry a man that was separated because it would not be viewed as adultery in the Jewish court by the Sanhedrin. The law of polygamy allowed men to not get divorced. The women had to get divorced. They had to receive their bill of divorcement, but the men didn't have to because of the law of polygamy. So they would abandon their wives and just go on and marry another woman. That meant that the woman was now chained to that man. She became a guna, could not remarry. And as Jesus explained, if another man married that woman, he then would become an adulterer. These men were abandoning their wives and they were keeping large amounts of wealth. They weren't keeping their word, what they were supposed to pay in the ketubah to the woman and then freeing her to marry another man. The law of polygamy is critical in understanding the subject of divorce. Thanks for joining us on today. Be blessed. You've been listening to the Divorced Christian Podcast Show with your host, Darius Good. This was a Good Treasure Ministries production. Darius is the senior pastor of Bible Gospel Center, and he is the author of the book, The Divorced Christian. To learn more about this book and other books written by Darius, or to listen to other episodes of our podcast show, visit our website today at thedivorcedchristian.com. We pray that today's episode has brought revelation, understanding, and healing. Please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast show. And until next time, be blessed.